If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, there uh, should be one in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to take that as our gift to you. Just put your name in it. Read it. Hebrews 13. Now, to get you thinking about the topic, the subject of our passage this morning, I have a Bible quiz for you. Because I know when you're short on sleep, that's what you want, (laughs) is a quiz, a test. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a verse that's got something missing, and then you get to fill in the missing part, okay? Simple. So we'll start with 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction is blank from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is love. 1 Corinthians 13.13. Way to go, wife. <laughs> you better believe it. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the blank of these is love, but the greatest. greatest. Okay, we're, we're rolling now. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. And Jesus said to them, You shall love blank, 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 blank with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, or great and first commandment. Matthew twenty two thirty nine is the very next verse. And a second, second great commandment is like it. You shall love your blank as yourself. You shall love your... Okay, I hope you see the common theme here. Love is a big deal. Love is a big deal with God. And He wants those who are followers of His Son, believers in Jesus to make loving him and loving others a top priority. And that much is fairly obvious. What's not always obvious is what exactly love looks like in practical ways, especially in our world where there are so many different ideas about love floating around and so many of them are contradictory to each other. Uh, And that's where our passage in Hebrews is going to give us some help We've got some clear practical guidance about love here, and it's not surprising actually that a lot of Scripture is dealing with practical issues. Jesus himself said on the Law and the Prophets, the whole Law and the Prophets basically can be summed up by those two great commandments, love God, love others. So um, when we first read these verses, at first glance, it might not seem like they're related to each other, but as we look a little more closely, the connection to love will become clear, I believe. So, Hebrews 13, uh, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Show hospitality to strangers is actually one word in the original. Stranger love, loving strangers. For by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, what can man do? I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think the first question to ask is, how do these verses relate to the rest of the book? Because you might come to a section like this, and it just looks disconnected. It's kind of on its own, and you might just think, okay, well, here's some things God wants me to add to my to-do list. So I'll just put them on there, and, and then you go and you try to do them without any thought of what God has been teaching you through the first 12 chapters here about Jesus, His Son. And see, that's, that would be a big mistake. Because if you do that, you're probably not going to do these things the way Jesus wants you to do them. Let me explain. What we see here is a pattern that we have really throughout Scripture, particularly the New Testament. What, what we have, take a book like Colossians, let's say, and the first part of the book is mainly doctrinal. That is, it teaches us important truths that we are to believe. And then the second part of the book is mainly practical, telling us things that we are to do. Actually, in Hebrews, this cycle repeats itself throughout the book. So you'll have something to believe, something to do. Something to believe, something to do. Because this is true about Jesus, about you, about God, do this. That order is really important. You might ask, well, why? why? Why does the Bible do that? Why did God inspire His Word to be like that? Why tell us truths to believe before telling us actions to do. Because think about it, God could have done that. He could have just said, okay, here's the list, do. Go, go get it done. But He doesn't. He does this. He tells us things to believe. Why? Because He doesn't want mindless obedience. He doesn't want heartless obedience. He wants us to obey by faith. And we've already seen that in this book, and we see it other places. Look at Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Romans 14:23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Whoa. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, God wants us to obey because we trust his Son. 
because we believe Him. We believe His ways are best. We, we ask Him for His help. We count on His promise. We look forward to His reward. To God, it really does matter why you do what you do. You could do something God commands, but if you do it without faith, it's basically worthless. You know, Jesus told us this in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, for example, I'll just give you one example. He said, okay, when you give alms, when you give to the poor, okay, stop. That right there seems like a good thing to do, right? Give to the poor. Be generous to the poor. But he goes on and he says, if you do it so that others will look at you and say, wow, what a wonderful person. He says, that's all the reward you're going to get. A few people are going to be impressed with you. Whoopee. But he says, if you give because you trust me, if you trust what I said, that it's a happier thing to give than to receive, and you want that, you want my happiness, then you'll have it. Same action, two very different motives. So when we come back here to Hebrews 13 and these instructions, in order for us to obey these instructions, to do these things as he intends, then we need to believe the things he has told us about his son in the previous 12 chapters. Or you could just sum it up this way. In order to love well, to love in a way that God approves, accepts, whatever you want to say. In order to love well, we have to love by faith. Love by faith. And I see here in these verses three different kinds of love. And what believing in Jesus, what having faith in Jesus will lead us to do faith in relationship to these three different loves. So verses 1 through 3, neighbor love. Verses, verse 4, romantic love, marriage. And verses 5 through 6, money love. Okay, we're going to look at these one at a time. Start with neighbor love. What does trusting Jesus lead us to do with regard to loving our neighbors? Well, what he leads us to do is to keep at it. Keep at it. Neighbor love is important. Keep it up. In fact, Jesus said, this commandment is second only to the commandment to love God. So if we trust him, we'll keep at it if we believe what he says. And we have in this passage, I see three different kinds of neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Well, there's three of them. Verse 1, those who are in our church family. Church family neighbor. Verse 2, those who are strangers to us. And verse 3, those who have been imprisoned for their faith. How do we love each of these neighbors by faith. Well, Jesus said, he told us, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said elsewhere, do to others 
what you would want them to do to you. So let's, uh, let's take what he said seriously, because that's faith, and ask, uh, what, what would that look like with regard to each type of neighbor? So we'll start with the neighbor in your church family. How do you want to be treated by those in your church family? Well, to ask the question is pretty much to answer it. You want to be treated like family. In a healthy family, that is. Okay? Healthy family, not dysfunctional family. Now, where do I get the idea of church family? You can see it right there where it says, let brotherly love continue. Scripture teaches us that when we get adopted into God's family by faith, we become children of God. Well, we become brothers and sisters to one another. So, 1 John 5, verse 1. This is amazing stuff. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, has been born of God, become children of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So let's just think about it. How do family members treat each other? Again, healthy family. Okay, how do members of a healthy family treat each other? They look out for each other's best interests. They speak up and tell the truth, and nothing but the truth. They make sure each other's needs are being met. They show up when it matters. Show up in a crisis or whatever. They put up with you. Which isn't always easy. Put up with each other's rough edges. And when you blow it and you admit it, your family forgives you. You can see this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now look at the faith connection. I'm going to try to point out faith connections when I see them here. As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Here's another one. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See how loving is by faith here? There's big things to believe in order to pull this off. Big things. It's when you believe that Jesus gave His life for you because He loves you, that empowers you to love others. It's when you believe that God has forgiven every single rotten thing you've ever thought or done because of His Son, Jesus, dying on the cross for you, that empowers you to forgive others. Love by faith. So that's, that's the church family neighbor. Let's go on to the second category of neighbor, those who are strangers to us. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, who are these people? It's basically anybody you don't know yet. Could be newcomers. Could be immigrants. It's kind of the same thing. Different. Church visitors. How do you love these people? 
with hospitality. That's what it says, hospitality. I mean, that's how you want to be treated when you're the, the new guy, the new gal, right? You want hospitality. You want to be, you, you, you want to see a friendly smile. You want to experience a warm welcome. You want people to show genuine interest in you. I know all you introverts are going like, no, not me. That's not what I want. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Some sincere interest. Maybe an invitation to a meal. Now, it says don't neglect this. And it, I think it's a fundamental rule of thumb when you read Scripture that if it has to tell you to do something, it probably doesn't come naturally. So what may come more naturally is to neglect this. And wow, has this been a challenge during time of COVID restrictions, showing hospitality. But since it's not, a, it's not really optional, we, we've got to try to be creative here. And I don't claim to have all the answers. I just know, you know, we have to figure it out. We have to not neglect it. So that's the neighbors who are strangers. And then the third kind of neighbors, those who've been in prison for their faith. How do we love them? Well, it says we love them by remembering them. Remembering them. And that almost certainly, the main idea there is praying for them. To remember them before God. To call their name before God. And, and the first people who received this letter would know people from their own church who were in prison for their faith. And so they would bring them before the Lord. And uh, it says, as if you're in prison with them. Now think about that for a second. What's the point of that? Well, how would you want your church family to pray for you if you were locked up? How often, how fervently? Say, well, how do we do that? Because maybe we don't know anybody personally who's in prison for their faith. Well, so a few options, a few ideas. Uh, the prayer sheet that was on your bench when you sat down, that comes out weekly. That almost, all, I think it does, always have some requests for persecuted and imprisoned believers. And by the way, if you'd like to receive that by email weekly, for those of you who do email, um, you could just sign up for that on your Connect card slip that was there also. There's more in the back. Just write, I'd like to be on the email prayer chain and put your email address, and then we'll add you to that, and you can get this email to you. So that's one way. Um, a couple of websites I could recommend, Voice of the Martyrs, it's persecution.com, and Open Doors, that's opendoorsusa.org. Both of those websites will connect you to people you can pray for. And you can actually go find some names of imprisoned Christians and, and just commit to pray for some of them. So I have a list that I try to pray for every day. And in, this, in the spirit of as if in prison with them, there's one pastor I've been praying for now for a couple of years. He's been in prison in Eritrea for 15 years. His family doesn't even know if he's alive or dead. But assuming he's alive, when I go to pray for him, I think, okay, Pastor Weldus, he's waking up in a cell again. What does he need me to pray for? 
So those are the three neighbors. And you'll notice that these verses don't give us a choice of which neighbors to love. You know, you won't see the word or here. Let brotherly love continue. Or don't neglect to show hospitality. Or pray for those in prison. No, it's all. And so when it comes to neighbor love, faith in Jesus leads us to keep at it. To keep at it. Okay, let's go on to the second category of love, romantic love. What does faith in Jesus lead us to do? In relationship to this kind of love, honor it. Honor it. So verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What does it mean to honor something? It means to hold it in high value. Regard it as something very, very valuable to... um, you know, if I, if I value something, I make it a priority. And I speak well of it. And I honor it with my words and actions. So when it comes to marriage, we're to honor that. We're to value it very highly. In other, we are to value it as much as God does. And this is really why marriage matters so much. Now, it's true It's true that if we dishonor marriage, we're going to hurt people. That's absolutely true. Um, So dishonoring it by redefining it as if we know better than God or ruining a marriage with our selfish choices, not taking our vows seriously or whatever, that's going to hurt people. That's going to hurt men. That's going to hurt women. That's going to hurt children. But the main reason God values, and God values marriage for all those reasons too, but the main reason God values marriage so highly is because he created it to picture the relationship between Jesus and his people. That love relationship. It is a picture. It's intended to be that. A picture of his redemptive love. And our world desperately needs to see that. See it in Ephesians 5.31. This is a quote from the book of Genesis. First man, first woman, this is, this is God's design. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Apostle Paul goes on, this mystery is profound. Mystery, that means there's something about it that wasn't fully revealed until now, and this is it. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Wow. Wow. So we honor marriage when we value it as much as he does. Now, what does that look like practically? It looks like letting Jesus call the shots in your love life. That's what it looks like. Let Jesus call the shots in your love life. Love by faith, following his directions. Relying on his strength, trusting his promises. By faith, by faith, by faith. So what's it going to look like? Well, it looks like a husband who loves his wife and treats her with respect as a co-heir of Christ who has equal value before God. 
it's going to look like a wife respecting her husband and this responsibility God has given him to be the lead one to provide and protect and set the spiritual pace in the family. It's going to look like married people staying faithful to their spouses. It's going to look like unmarried people, wait for it, not having sex until they're married. What? That's crazy. No. No, it's not crazy because Jesus isn't crazy. And that's his instruction. If you got a problem with it, take it up with him. It looks like everybody praying for and encouraging one another's marriages because we're all having issues at times. And it's going to look like cherishing, valuing, upholding God's design for marriage because He knows what He's talking about and we are to uphold that as beautiful and good no matter what anybody else says. And did you notice the connection to faith? I didn't point it out yet, but it's a sobering connection. Very sobering. It says, don't defile the marriage bed. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I mean, this just shows how out of sync the way our culture thinks with how God thinks. I mean, this is telling us that those who dishonor marriage by having sex when they're not married or dishonor marriage by having sex to somebody married to somebody else are eventually going to have to answer to God for that unless God grants them repentance. So if you believe Him, if you believe Him, you'll honor marriage, whether you're married or unmarried. You will hold marriage in high esteem because you trust Him. Because you trust Him. By the way, if you, if anybody listening, is struggling with a sexual sin, struggling with like a habit of pornography, Because if the statistics are accurate, then it's very likely that some people listening to me right now are struggling with that. Don't let guilt, shame, pride keep you from getting the help you need to succeed. Okay? Um, There are really good resources to help you experience freedom. So a couple, uh, a website to recommend, purelifealliance.com. Pure Life Alliance. That's local, and they have resources that really help. Or you can just get in touch with me, you can get in touch with Tyler, you can get in touch with Cindy, and we can connect you to some good resources. All right, one more love. Money love. What does faith in Jesus lead you to do with money love? Stay away from it. I was going to say, kill it. That might be better. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for, okay, faith connection coming at you. Here's something to believe. Because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So this is really interesting because 
the first two loves. He's talked about neighbor love and he's talked about romantic love. And those are both good loves. And then he comes to this and talks about a love that's not good. Love of money. Why isn't it good? Because you cannot love money and love God. You can't. So Matthew 6.24, this is Jesus talking. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Cannot. Can't be done. Why is that? Because what does loving money mean? Loving money means... You know, it's not like you get out a pile of cash and you go, oh, you're so beautiful, I I love you. That's not what loving money means. Loving money means you trust in money to give you the happiness and the security that only God can give. That's why it's one or the other. Now, it's easy to love money because money buys stuff. (laughs) Like food, and uh, housing, and medical care, and vacations. And it's so easy to put our trust in money. But here's the thing. Okay, notice the faith connection. Only God promises that he will never leave us, never forsake us. Did your money ever make that promise to you? And the fact is, either it's going to leave you, or one day you're going to leave it. And the only thing you'll have in heaven is what you sent on ahead. You don't get to bring it with you. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. So, money will definitely leave you at some point. Any sense of security we have based on money is really an illusion. Proverbs 23.5 is one of my all-time favorite verses because it's just so true. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Where did it go? Now, this is not telling us to be stupid and foolish and all that. You know, we need to be wise with our money, use it the way God wants. But here's the thing. Trying to find contentment in money is a fool's game. Somebody once asked one of the world's richest men, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little more. The guy had billions, and he wasn't content. Now, I know, we think, oh, yeah, but if I had a billion dollars, I'd be content. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because that contentment hole in your heart can only be filled by one thing. The presence of God, the promises of God, the character of God. If you trust God with your needs and use your money according to His instructions, you can be content with whatever He gives you because of what He's promised. Look at Philippians 4.19. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So there you go. There's the faith connection. If I trust him, then I don't have to put my trust in money. 
So there you go. There's the three loves. Neighbor love, romantic love, money love. There's a lot more that could be said. Each one of these could have been a sermon on its own. So, talk about it. Talk about it in your family. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it in your small group. How do, how do we help each other with it? Read it again and again. And, and let's ask Jesus to help us love what he loves and love it as much as he loves. He said we could do all things through him. And he wasn't talking about, you know, flying or something like that. He was talking about handling life, handling life with faith. He said we can do it. We can handle anything. The guy who said that was in prison at the moment. And he said, I can handle any of this through him who gives me strength. Faith in Jesus. That's how. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, it's because you love us and you want us to experience joy that you tell us how to live. And so, Lord, we, we want to come to you now and we want to say, help us, help us to live by faith. Help us to live in response to how much you have loved us, sending your Son to die for us, revealing to us your heart, making the way for us to have relationship with you and be your children. And Lord, you've told us that you who gave your own Son for us, you will not withhold any good thing that you know that we need for our eternal joy. And so, God, we just pray you would help us love the way you, the way you love. Help us have our loves properly ordered, not out of proportion, not confused by false ideas. Help us be people who love you and who love one another. We pray in Jesus' name.